It's a brand new week of film with spy capers and Oscar favourites galore, and I'm here to dish up all the juicy details on this latest episode of Film Feeder. Hello and welcome back to the show, where every week I, your film chef extraordinaire Jack Martin, give you the lowdown on all the week's new movie releases, and also offer up my own thoughts on a few new arrivals as well. It's been quite a busy week in the world of film, not least because this year's Oscar nominations have finally been announced, with Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer leading the way with 13 to its name, including Best Picture, Best Director, and three acting nods for Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, and Robert Downey Jr., with Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things not too far behind with 11 nominations, also for Picture and Director, as well as Best Actress for its lead Emma Stone and Supporting Actor for Mark Ruffalo's hilarious performance. Also up for Best Picture this year is writer-director Cord Jefferson's American Fiction and Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest, both of which I'll be talking about later on in the show, as well as other award season favourites like Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, which has 10 nominations, Alexander Payne's delightful comedy drama The Holdovers, which has 5, Bradley Cooper's Leonard Bernstein biopic Maestro comes in with 7, Celine Song's Past Lives got 2, including picture and original screenplay, and Palm d'Or winner Anatomy of a Fall clearly has strong international support with five nominations. And then, of course, there's the other half of the Barbenheimer phenomenon, Barbie, which got a pretty good haul of eight overall nominations, including Best Picture, and for its two supporting turns by Ryan Gosling and America Ferreira. Though its big misses in the directing and lead actress categories for Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie respectively have resulted in a pretty nasty online backlash, even though they have actually been nominated in other categories, with Gerwig not only up for the Adapted Screenplay Oscar, alongside her co-writer and her real-life partner Noah Bumbach, but is currently considered the frontrunner for that particular prize, while Robbie is listed as one of the producers in the Best Picture category, alongside her own husband Tom Ackerley. So while they didn't get into the categories everyone wanted, it's not like either one of them have been completely shut out either. Now I'll talk no more about the Oscars because that's for an upcoming feature presentation episode which will be out very soon, because there's a whole new week of films to spotlight in this week's movie menu, and I intend to start that right now. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Far away from the world of Oscar contenders is an all-new star-studded spy caper from director Matthew Vaughan, and it's also Film Feeder's Movie of the Week. It is, of course, Argyle. This is the film that's about spy author Ellie Conway, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, who's become successful for a series of books about a fictional James Bond-like spy named Argyle, who's played by Henry Cavill in scenes where we get to see Conway's stories come to life. But her life is suddenly uprooted when she's unexpectedly thrust onto an international espionage mission alongside Sam Rockwell's real-life spy, Aiden, after she learns that her stories have somehow began to mirror actual missions by secretive and deadly government organisations. How or even why this is at all possible is one of the many mysteries that Argyle has in store for viewers, not to mention just one of many very good reasons why you should be very excited for this major new cinema release. And here's five more to convince you even further. 
The first reason to get excited about Argyle is that it marks the return of filmmaker Matthew Vaughan to the spy movie genre, having previously brought his energetic and kinetic style to the espionage flick with his 60-set superhero prequel X-Men First Class, and then of course gave it a violent and sweary upgrade with the Kingsman franchise. So if you enjoyed those delightful throwbacks to spy movies of yesteryear, then there's no reason to enjoy what Vaughan will end up doing here too. The second reason involves the absolutely A-list cast that Vaughan has gathered, which in addition to Henry Cavill as the titular fictional spy, includes Samuel L. Jackson, John Cena, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, Sophia Boutella, Oscar winners Sam Rockwell and Ariana DeBose, and even pop star Dua Lipa in a small but significant role, all of whom bring their A-game to the material and turn it into a true star-coated caper. Reason number three is the one actor at the centre of it all, and that's Bryce Dallas Howard, who after being largely and unfairly relegated to supporting roles or mere love interests over the years, is finally gifted a leading role worthy of a natural screen charm. And as the various mysteries of this film deepens, she is all but certain to play a major role in how the rest of the plot pans out, so keep a close eye on her as all of that unfolds. Number four, it's got some of Vaughan's signature action that's both extremely colourful and well choreographed, so if you still have fond memories of some of the big fights from the Kingsman movies, or other Matthew Vaughan films like Kick-Ass, Stardust and Layer Cake, be prepared to make room for even more as Argyle is said to contain ones that will absolutely blow you away with their inventiveness. And the fifth and final reason is perhaps the most important one of all, which is that alongside all the heroes and the spies is an absolutely adorable cat named Alfie, who judging by the trailers is already set to be a breakout star in an ensemble made up of nothing but stars, so expect the feline and the backpack in which he is transported in for most of the movie to be pure catnip for animal lovers everywhere. So that's five solid reasons to be excited for this week's big release, which once again is Argyle. And you can head over to the cinema and discover its secrets for yourself from Thursday the 1st of February. Now let's look at some of the other cinema releases coming to your screens this week. And first up is one of two major Oscar contenders. It's writer-director Cord Jefferson's biting satire, American Fiction. The film stars Jeffrey Wright as Thelonious Ellison, known as Monk to friends and family, who's a struggling writer and college professor who's frustrated by the staggering popularity of books, films and various media that seem to pander towards certain black stereotypes. And so out of spice, he writes his own novel that displays all the negative stereotypes he can think of, except he unexpectedly manages to get it published and turned into exactly the kind of quote-unquote black piece of media that he's been ranting about. I won't say too much more about this film because I want to save it for my review later in the show, but this is a very funny and thought-provoking film that's proven to be a sheer force on the awards circuit, beginning with its debut at last year's Toronto Film Festival where it won the People's Choice Award, which is traditionally a strong indicator of what films might be nominated for or sometimes even win the Best Picture Oscar, and culminating in its recent score of five Oscar nominations, including of course Best Picture, as well as Best Actor for Jeffrey Wright and Adapted Screenplay for Cord Jefferson, who makes a firecracker of a debut that you can check out in cinemas from Friday the 2nd of February. The second of this week's Best Picture nominees to get a UK cinematic release is also rather thought-provoking, but far more disturbing in its tone and concept. It's The Zone of Interest, which comes from writer-director Jonathan Glazer, who previously made Sexy Beast, Birth, and Under the Skin, and who here adapts Martin Amos's novel about a family who, at first glance, appears to live an idyllic life in the lovely house somewhere in the countryside. Except for the crucial fact that it's 1940s Poland, the family members are all Nazis, and the house 
house is located right next to Auschwitz, where family patriarch Rudolf Hoss, played by Christian Friedel, is the chief commandant of the notorious concentration camp, where countless prisoners, many of them Jewish, were killed on a daily basis. So yeah, it's not exactly cheery subject matter, and you can find out exactly how decisively uncheery it is when you hear my review for it later on in the show. But if you've got the stomach for some truly unnerving imagery, and especially some of the eeriest sound design you'll hear in a film all year, you'll most certainly want to check out The Zone of Interest, which, like American fiction, is also up for five Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best International Feature Film, where it has been submitted and successfully shortlisted as the entry for the United Kingdom. So once more, that's The Zone of Interest, out in UK cinemas on Friday the 2nd of February. Moving on now to much, much lighter family fare with Migration, the animated comedy from Illumination, the same animation studio behind the Despicable Me franchise, and last year's mega-hit, the Super Mario Brothers movie, among many other hugely successful films. The film centres on a family of ducks, headed by Kumail Nanjiani's patriarch Mac, who is convinced by his partner Pam, voiced by Elizabeth Banks, and their two young ducklings to venture out of their comfortable New England pond for the first time, and fly south for the winter with the rest the flock, except that the family ends up flying north instead, and straight into the harsh and unforgiving human city of New York, which they must navigate through in order to survive. With a great voice cast that also includes Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Danny DeVito, as well as some of Illumination's typically gorgeous animation, Migration should prove to be an early half-term hit for the kids when it makes flight towards cinemas everywhere from the 2nd of February. Now I've got another animated feature for you to chew on this week, specifically the Japanese anime drama Blue Giant, based on the popular manga series of the same name, which is about a high school basketball player who soon becomes determined to be a successful musician after being introduced to jazz, after which he becomes a pro on the saxophone and later forms a jazz trio with a pianist and drummer, with whom he creates music that soon wins them plenty of recognition. Now, I personally don't know a whole lot about this particular manga, other than the fact that it's got a rather unique musical touch to it, but this big screen adaptation, which features some dazzling animation overseen by director Yuzuro Tachikawa, who's known for anime such as Mob Psycho 100, and of course an electrifying original jazz score by Japanese musician Hiromi Uhara, does look like it's an enticing watch for anyone who's never even heard of the source material, and you can check out Blue Giant when it comes to cinemas on Wednesday the 31st of January. The final theatrical release I'm spotlighting this week is Dalton's Dream, which features a central figure who might be immediately recognisable for those who used to watch The X Factor, that being Dalton Harris, the Jamaican-born singer who won the final series back in 2018, and with it an exclusive contract with Simon Cowell's record label Psycho. But the film from directors Frankie Murray-Brown and Kim Longinotto focuses on the singer's struggle to live up to the record deal he won, as well as the rather horrific harassment he faced in regards to his sexuality. It's a hard-hitting and at times upsetting look at how the music industry, and in particular shows like The X Factor, treats and exploits talent like Dalton Harris before promptly discarding them from the public eye. But its focus on how Dalton eventually gets back up on his feet also makes it an inspiring story of perseverance and determination. So once more, that's Dalton's Dream, which comes to select cinemas from Friday the 2nd of February. 
Away from the big screen, there's a decent handful of new streaming releases out this week, including Netflix's new animated fantasy, Orion and the Dark, a co-production with DreamWorks Animation that tells the story of a timid young boy named Orion, voiced by Jacob Tremblay, who's scared of just about everything, including and especially the dark. But one night, he's visited by a living personification of the dark that's voiced by Paul Walter Hauser, who takes Orion on a magical journey to show him that there's no need to be afraid of the dark, or much of anything else for that matter. So this certainly seems like a pleasant and colourful family adventure, but perhaps the most unusual thing about it is that the screenplay is written by none other than Charlie Kaufman, the surrealist filmmaker best known for writing the likes of Being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the latter of which he won an Oscar for. So knowing that kind of makes Orion and the Dark a rather glaring curiosity, because you just can't imagine someone like Charlie Kaufman writing something for the makers of Kung Fu Panda and Shrek. But who knows, he might have just written his most accessible script yet, and you can watch for yourself when the film comes to Netflix on Friday the 2nd of February. Next up on Paramount Plus is the long-awaited animated adaptation of Lawrence Yep's popular children's book The Tiger's Apprentice, about a young Chinese-American boy who is placed under the tutelage of Mr. Hu, voiced by Henry Golding, a mystical tiger who has entrusted the boy with the protection of a phoenix egg that several enemies are seeking to acquire, but not if our heroes can save the day. So this was originally meant to be a theatrical release, which you might have expected from a voice cast that also includes Lucy Liu, Sandra Oh, Bowen Yang, and Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh. But various delays due to the pandemic have sent it straight to streaming instead, where it hopes to find itself a valuable home audience when it comes to Paramount Plus in the UK on Saturday the 3rd of February. Meanwhile, over on Sky Cinema, there's the sci-fi action thriller 57 Seconds, which stars Josh Hutcherson as a tech blogger who, whilst interviewing Morgan Freeman's tech guru, comes across an unusual ring that gives its wearer the ability to travel back in time by, you guessed it, 57 seconds, which he soon uses to try and go after the pharmaceutical company that's responsible for the death of his twin sister. With a script co-written by Macon Blair, the actor and filmmaker whom viewers may recognise from films such as Blue Ruin and as recently as Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, this is an adaptation of sci-fi writer E.C. Tubbs short story Lucifer that packs plenty of action and suspense for any and all home viewers looking for that late weekend thrill, which they'll get when 57 Seconds drops onto Sky Cinema on Sunday the 4th of February. The last big home release of the week is the thoughtful Danish historical drama Liberation, which stars Pilu Asbeck as a school headmaster in 1945 Denmark, who finds his school being turned into an internment camp for German refugees, thrusting him into an impossible dilemma over whether to stand firm in Danish resistance against the Germans, or to do whatever he can to help the various new arrivals. Now this is a film that poses a tough situation that is explored in considerate and mature ways, which in turn covers a dark period in Danish history where hundreds of thousands of German refugees were treated with vile hostility, regardless of their wartime stance. And it's an inspiring but harrowing story about the kindness of strangers that you can now check out, for Liberation is available to rent or buy on most digital platforms from today, Monday the 29th of January. Lastly, there's a couple of major re-releases of classic movies this week, starting with Terence Malick's incredibly atmospheric and visually masterful romantic drama, Days of Heaven, which is back in cinemas with an all-new 4K restoration for its 45th anniversary. The film stars Richard Gere and Brooke Adams as a pair of lovers in Depression-era America, who take jobs on a wealthy Texas farm run by the late Sam Shepard, where they pose as siblings and soon put into motion a plan to secure their financial future when the farmer falls for Adams' Abbey. 
though the film is perhaps best remembered for its astonishing cinematography, which won the movie an Oscar in that particular category, as well as setting the template for Malick's exceptionally dreamy directorial style going forward. And now you can witness the exceptional beauty of Days of Heaven for yourself when this re-release comes to cinemas on Friday the 2nd of February. And finally, there's the return of the hit 90s teen romantic comedy, 10 Things I Hate About You, which is similarly celebrating its 25th anniversary with a new remastered look just in time for Valentine's Day. The film, for those unaware, is a modern retelling of William Shakespeare's play The Taming of the Shrew, which is set at a high school where new arrival Joseph Gordon-Levitt learns that his crush Bianca Stratford, played by Larissa Olenek, is off-limits because her overprotective father has deemed that she cannot date until her antisocial sister Kat, who's Julia Stiles, finds herself a lover too. So it's up to young Gordon-Levitt to pair her up with a school bad boy Patrick Verona, played by the late Heath Ledger, if he is to be within a shot of getting his own romantic happily ever after. A massive hit in 1999, launching the careers of both Stars and Ledger, and perhaps best remembered for a musical sequence involving Ledger that even went on to win an MTV Movie Award, 10 Things I Hate About You is a classic teen rom-com that's filled with plenty of romance and comedy that is quite literally Shakespearean, and you can see it on the big screen from Friday the 2nd of February. So that about does it for this week's movie menu. I truly hope that it's helped you figure out what to watch over the next seven days. And if you want a handy reminder, then you can go to the Film Feeder website at filmfeeder.co.uk, where you can find a written lowdown on each and every one of these films. And now it's time once again to get into my ever insightful reviews. So for this week's reviews, I'll be talking about both the big Oscar contenders American Fiction and The Zone of Interest, both of which I was able to catch at advanced screenings late last year, including at the BFI London Film Festival, which is where the latter film played to an enthusiastic crowd, if you can indeed call it enthusiastic. I might as well start with The Zone of Interest, because of all the Best Picture nominees this year, this one is perhaps the most relevant to our current state in the world and its unbreakable links with the past. That's because evil is everywhere throughout history. No matter how much we try and sweep it all under the rug, it exists in the barbaric reign of totalitarian dictators across the world, it's present in the pillaging and removal of indigenous tribes from their rightful land, and it's very much still around in places like Russia, Iran, and the Middle East. And we must never forget what evil looks and feels like so that we can confront it when we see it for ourselves and challenge those who wish to turn a blind eye to some of humanity's biggest atrocities. This is, as you might have guessed, the biggest thing to take away from filmmaker Jonathan Glazer's haunting wartime drama, which presents a unique vision of perhaps the evilest period of the 21st century, if not of all time, that reminds us all about the dangerous moral consequences of ignoring what is a truly incomprehensible act of human cruelty. As I mentioned earlier, The Zone of Interest is set in the 1940s, and the film's focus is on the pleasant, if mundane, life of a family that is reasonably well-off, and whose biggest concern is when the patriarch, played by Christian Friedel, might be assigned to a different location for work, leaving his wife Hedwig, as portrayed by Anatomy of a Fall's Sandra Hula, and their young children, alone at a time when they need their husband and father around. So it's all perfectly pleasant on the surface, and for the most part it is, except for the fact that the aforementioned patriarch is Rudolf Hoss, the famed Nazi commandant who oversaw the extermination of hundreds if not thousands of Jews at the Auschwitz concentration camp, which also happens to be right next to where he and his family have built their idyllic life together. 
So while this family is going about its business, whether it's doing some gardening, trying on some fancy clothes, eating dinner together, or hosting a pool party, there are countless people being brutally murdered just on the other side of their wall, something which is almost never addressed by anyone we see on the screen. So what makes the zone of interest so eerie to watch is how closely it sticks to this family of Nazis, with the film never cutting to any of the inhumane scenes going on within the Auschwitz camp, instead restricting them to muted audio that plays over quiet and uneventful moments in the family's life. And that leads into how the sound design on this film is astounding, for there is always this mechanical hum on the soundtrack that signifies the cyclic in-out rotation of people being forced into the gas chambers, but it is so subtly overlaid onto the more normal scenes we're watching that after a while you forget that it's even there, which puts the viewer directly into the mindset of these people who have chosen to ignore what's happening mere feet from them, most likely out of necessity or perhaps even blind ignorance. But unlike those on the screen, you're always aware of everything you're not seeing because also unlike them, you hopefully have stronger morals than a Nazi. Only occasionally does the film venture outside this middle-class family's bubble, including some interludes creepily shot in thermal vision of a young girl picking and leaving pieces of fruit for the various and largely unseen Jewish prisoners, and to stuffy Nazi meetings intended to finalise their merciless execution. Even then, though, we are never truly far away from the horrors happening just beyond that wall, and Glazer, a filmmaker who often keeps a pole's distance between the viewer and the emotional profundity of his work, ensures that there is always an ice-cold tone and even the happiest seeming of scenes, with an innocent dip into the nearby river being interrupted by the flow of dumped ashes, or the steam from an arriving prisoner train popping up in the background of the earlier mentioned pool party, or a surprising ending that is perhaps a bit on the nose, which, without giving anything away, does involve involve a bit of time travel. So there's almost never a moment in the zone of interest where you feel as at ease as his family does, even amidst the disturbing conduct happening within earshot, because Glazer's direction, along with a combination of some static cinematography and an appropriately haunting musical score, keeps pushing the evil onto you without softening any of its forcefulness. It is deliberately uncomfortable viewing, one which will certainly struggle to make a connection with audiences, but Jonathan Glazer, especially with the zone of interest, does not make films that audiences can enjoy. He is a master of misery, as the bleak overtones of past films Sexy Beast, Birth and Under the Skin can vouch for, and with this he has made perhaps the most importantly miserable film of his career, one which calls out the complacency and conscious denial of the atrocities happening in front of us, a trait that is alarmingly common in an age of social media information and an overload of devastating news stories. So you'll be devastated whilst watching it, but more aware than ever of when to call out evil as and when we recognise it. So overall, The Zone of Interest is a disturbing look at the complacency of Nazi evil with unsettling sound design and ice-cold direction by Jonathan Glazer that calls attention to the atrocities that are never shown, in a profound, if emotionally detached piece of work that will stay with you long afterwards. And I'm giving it a reasonable 4 out of 5 stars, which equates to a dish you'll be hungry for more of. Then there's American Fiction, a movie which looks at a different kind of atrocity, that being the fact that when it comes to black cinema, the harsh truth is that much of it is defined by popular stereotypes, which by that I mean for every Moonlight or Black Panther, there is at least a dozen other movies where black characters are portrayed as violent gangsters, ghetto-dwelling drug addicts, victims of police brutality, or even helpless souls only the white protagonist can save. And as offensive as some of these stereotypes can be, they have existed and will sadly continue to exist because there is, for 
better or worse, an audience for them. And their popularity stems from the collective desire to empathise with their struggle, while also feeling comfortable in the much safer bubble we occupy. But there is an argument, as writer-director Cord Jefferson states in his intelligent and hugely entertaining debut feature, that such consumption has led to black creators being pigeonholed by the demand for the same unflattering portrayals over and over again. Jefferson, who here adapts Percival Everett's 2001 novel Erasure, has a lot of fun pointing out the hypocrisies and casual prejudice of those who absorb the popular narratives of films and literature that lean into those popular stereotypes. However, the filmmaker also lends his feature a surprisingly sweet and heartfelt edge, which not only takes the load off its more satirical content, but achieves exactly what a lot of those films celebrating those racial stereotypes don't, which is to give a sense of dignity and humanity to its black protagonists. So in the film, Jeffrey Wright's Thelonious Monk Ellison is a middle-aged writer and college professor who is in a permanent state of frustration. That's because his books are failing to sell, he's been placed on an extended leave of absence after offending a white student with his use of the n-word within a literature context, and his elderly mother Agnes, who's Leslie Uggams, is suffering from Alzheimer's. Most of all, Monk feels contempt for the staggering amounts of media depicting what he feels to be inferior representations of the black experience, and for how popular they seem to be. Like, case in point, he's fuming that fellow author Sintara Golden, played by Issa Rae, is seeing love and success come her way for her debut novel Weez Lives in the Ghetto, which contains just about every popular black stereotype imaginable. Eventually, Monk decides out of pure spite to pen his own piece of black pandering literature, initially entitled My Pathology, with an F, before being retitled to something much more hilariously provocative under the pen name Stag R. Lee, an escaped convict who's supposedly on the lam. But unfortunately for Monk, the book receives plenty of attention, and soon he is thrust into a world of uncomfortable media bias, where white media types eagerly exploit the black experience for the satisfaction of easy-to-please consumers. So American fiction is definitely satirical, as you may be able to tell from that plot description, but refreshingly, it's rarely farcical. Because Jefferson grounds a lot of the humour targeted towards mainstream black media, hardly, if at all, going over the top with the increasingly ludicrous and all-too-plausible trajectory that the fictional Lee's novel is becoming a genuine success. Because it's a much more restrained film than the lively trailers might lead you to believe, but it is no less funny, as there are a lot of genuine belly laughs to be had from the sheer insanity of how black stereotyping in media is celebrated, including a TV channel that shows brutal footage from films about gangsters and slavery when promoting black cinema, with the icing on the cake being the cheery music accompanying the promo. So it is a very funny film, often at the expense of those who misinterpret such stereotypes as quote-unquote authentic to the overall black experience. But Jefferson keeps the comedy under a firm grip, allowing the point of the satire to be driven home much easier, and avoiding the risk of it becoming a full-on farce where everything ceases to be as painfully realistic. In one of Jefferson's many smart decisions, the crux of American fiction also does not rest entirely on the satirical premise, with a large chunk of the film also being dedicated to Jeffrey Wright's monk, dealing with his own personal issues, including some family drama, spurred by a rather shocking tragedy, as well as his blossoming relationship with neighbour Coraline, played by Erica Alexander, and most significantly, his own judgmentalism that might just be causing his frustrations to boil over. And rather than disrupt the comedic tone of the main premise, this slightly more morose strand serves the 
important function of giving Monk and several members of his family, including his unreliable brother Cliff, played by Sterling K. Brown in an Oscar-nominated turn, and even his family maid Lorraine, who's Myra Lucretia Taylor, plenty of development that allows them to become well-rounded characters. For instance, Monk isn't just some grump whose cynicism ultimately defines him. He is shown to be someone who is capable of warm and compassionate feelings, with said cynicism preventing him from understanding other people's perspectives that are different to his own. And so the character becomes much more interesting as a result, and Wright's performance, a rare lead turn for the revered character actor, is so good that you really do understand why he thinks the way he does, even if it does make him out to be kind of a miserable git half the time. So it's a very well written movie, for Jefferson manages to balance out the personal drama and the biting satire near faultlessly, with only a slight wobble as it begins leaning into heightened territory in its closing minutes. Not only do both tones fail to clash with each other, but they work harmoniously to give a biting commentary on media consumption of archaic black stereotypes, as well as a three-dimensional study of the character who's actively trying to do something about it. It works well as a comedy, for there are a lot of laugh out loud moments to enjoy, and it works just as effectively as a family drama drama, with strongly defined and likeable characters going through some genuine issues that have almost nothing to do with the racial stuff. And funnily enough, it also works as an unexpected companion piece to Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, since both films are, partially anyway, about the heartfelt connections made by a curmudgeon with plenty of justifiable disdain for the world around them. So with all of that behind it, American Fiction is a bold and impressive debut for Cord Jefferson, who in just his first feature manages to bring plenty of important discussions to the spotlight, while still making it fun and accessible for most audiences. But honestly, not since Jordan Peele impressed with his own debut feature Get Out, has the very literal black and white issue been so much uncomfortable fun to sit through. So in all, I'd say that American Fiction is an intelligent and hugely entertaining debut feature for writer-director Cord Jefferson, who lays out plenty of laugh-out-loud satire onto some comfortable topics about popular black stereotypes, but also provides plenty of sweet heartfelt character moments to prevent it from slipping too far into farce, for which I'll also grant it four stars. And that about brings us to the end of yet another episode of Film Feeder. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Your support is always appreciated, and I hope you have yourself a plentiful week at the movies. I'd also be grateful if you could give this episode a strong rating on whichever platform you may be listening on, and maybe even write a nice little review to help spread the show to anyone searching for their weekly movie fix. Likewise, you can find Film Feeder on many social media channels, the links and handles for which are in the episode description, and I'd also like to encourage you to visit and maybe even subscribe to Film Feeder's Patreon page over at patreon.com filmfeeder, where I offer all paid subscribers an exclusive 24-hour advance window for podcast episodes, as well as the opportunity to vote on future episode topics and even suggest classic films for me to talk about. So if you fancy getting any of those perks, as well as supporting a hard-working creative like myself, then head to patreon.com slash film feeder today and sign up finally don't forget to visit the film feeder website itself at filmfeeder.co.uk which is the only place on the internet where you can find my uncut and fully authentic written work including new reviews and previews every single week once again that's filmfeeder.co.uk so once again thank you so much for joining me this week and be sure to come back in seven days time when i'll be looking at a tragic wrestling dynasty gargantuan wartime documentaries and a whole lot more until then, I'm your film chef extraordinaire, Jack Marcin, whetting your appetite for film each and every week. That's all for now. See you next time.